listen to God's word in the sermon. Now, entitled this, this morning's sermon, How to Live in Dark Times. How to Live in uh, Dark Times. I want to explain something that happened the other morning in our house. The other morning when Rachel got up, she found that I was not speaking to her. Uh, she very quickly asked if I'd done something wrong, and uh, I didn't answer verbally. In fact, I, I was not speaking to anybody. And you're thinking, well, the title is How to Live in Dark Times. Is the answer to living in dark times to not speak to anybody? Well, this is not the way to live in dark times. But Zechariah's silence that we read about, or we have just read about in this Gospel of Luke, led to the advent of dawn, or the dawning of light. And I was wondering when I was preparing for this, whether it was harder for Zechariah not to be able to speak, or whether it was harder for Elizabeth not to be spoken to. And so my early morning experiment was to see what it was like not to speak to people. And also, as I chatted to Rachel later, and I broke my silence, and I very quickly explained to her what I was doing, we we, we both agreed that it's really hard for both people. Now, just for my short time, it was quite nice. I was in on the trick. I knew what was going on. Uh, Rachel didn't. Rachel found it frustrating. But I'm sure if I was unable to speak, and I couldn't have just sort of switched on and started speaking, that that day would have become very long. And it would be increasingly frustrating uh, for myself. Living in silence is like being in darkness. And where we pick up this story, we pick up this story in a time of serious darkness, serious spiritual darkness, because for 400 years, there's been silence. If you put your finger in between the New Testament and the Old Testament, in this Bible, we've just got a couple of blank pages. But in reality, there's a 400-year gap then. 400 years of silence. 400 years and there is no revelation from God directly to his people. And that is darkness. I'm not sure whether Rachel was relieved by my silence and thought I could get used to this. But a relationship doesn't work when there is silence. And this 400 years silence must have been so difficult for God's people in those times. That they wanted to hear God. They, 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 they loved God, some of them. But for many of them, things got worse and worse and worse. And as God was silent in speaking to them, we realized that 
Some of the religious people got more religious and more fanatical, but further away from God. And for the Jewish people, they found themselves, as this passage tells us at the beginning in verse 5, in the days of Herod. Now, a few Christmases ago, I preached on the subject of Herod. And if you were there, you'll remember that Herod was an extremely wicked man. He ruled with a rod of iron. He, was, he, he, he killed his own family members to keep himself in power. He, he actually had a whole lot of prisoners lined up to be killed on his death so that there would be mourning because he knew that the people wouldn't mourn over his own death. This was the darkness of the days. The Jewish people were not ruling themselves. The Jewish people were under oppression. They were under the oppression of the Roman Empire. And in that backdrop of silence from God, and in that backdrop of God's people being oppressed by this Roman Empire and this wicked king being in charge, we read of these, this couple. We read of this couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth. And although this couple are walking with the Lord, as we see, and we'll go into in more detail in a moment, this couple were in their own dark time. They had no children. Now, nowadays, it seems for many couples in the world that they decide not to have children because they want to expand their career and to make things get better uh, for themselves. But in that day and age... In that culture, it would be much more like your village in Africa. And after nine months, a year of the newlyweds getting married, people are asking questions. Where's the baby? What's happening? And two years, and and five years, and ten years go by. And and I'm told in some cultures around the world, that's a good enough reason to get yourself another wife. And there were this couple... And they were aged, advanced in years. And they had no child. And it was because Elizabeth was barren. This couple were living in dark days. Not just the spiritual darkness around them. Not just the political darkness around them. But in their own lives, they had this dark shadow upon them because they were childless. In a society that... Having a child was the the most important thing. So how to live in dark times? I have four headings for us this morning. And the first one is this, to be righteous despite the problems. Or to be righteous despite the darkness, if you like. Verse 6 of this chapter 1 of Luke tells us that both... Elizabeth and Zechariah were righteous before God, walking blameless in the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. Now we have to remember there was this, this darkness there. God had been silent for 400 years. Darkness in society around them and darkness in their own personal situation. And yet, and yet, despite of this darkness, personal and national, and around about them, they were living blameless in all the commandments and statutes of 
the Lord. Now we live in in a culture where we blame and and excuse ourselves. And for so many, there is an excuse now why you, you don't have to live a righteous life. Because the circumstances are too bad. We live in a dark world. And so it doesn't matter if we embrace a little bit of darkness in our own lives. The businessman will tell you that he cannot do business without doing a little bit of dodgy dealings. Not like him, but just a little bit. Or the student may think, I I cannot pass my exams without doing a little bit of copying. In fact, it's not really cheating because everybody else is doing it. Maybe the excuse of doing Yahoo and and online fraud and and scamming is because, well, I've got no money, and I need money, and and I've asked God to give me money, and he's given me this wonderful computer and this connection to the World Wide Web and and, and lots of gullible rich people out there, and I'm only just redistributing the wealth, and it's all fine, and it's not... We live in a darkness, and we're called to be... Righteous and blameless. Of course, we don't believe in in sleeping around, but it's the best way to get the lifestyle I deserve. The man, the woman will look after me. But this was not where Elizabeth and Zachariah were. If anyone had an ex- anyone had a reason to be able to excuse unrighteousness, there they were. They had the sadness of no child. They had the difficulty of living in those times and the silence of God for all those years. And yet, they remained righteous before God. They continued to walk blamelessly. In all the commandments. And so to live in dark times, we are to be righteous despite the problems. Secondly, we see here that they were faithful despite how long it takes. Faithful despite how long it takes. Now we, we read here that he was serving as a priest before God when his division was on duty. Now, Zechariah, throughout this whole time, had been serving the Lord faithfully. Now, now, someone wouldn't become a priest until the age of, of 25, and they would have to retire from the heavy work at the age of 50. Now, it, it may be that because of the dark times that they were in, it was difficult for them to recruit priests, and he carried on into his old age. We don't know his exact age, but it's more than likely he was more than 50 and he's still serving faithfully. And the reason I say that is because it tells us here that they hadn't got children because of their age. And I'm kind of thinking that I still could have a child now if God wanted. I think in some ways it'd be absolute madness and I think it would drive, well, I can't imagine what would happen. But I don't feel too old. Mummy Rachel is shaking her head desperately. So this is not an announcement. But I'm, I'm thinking he must have been older than 50. 
We don't know exactly how old he was. But what I'm wanting to say is he'd had a faithful life as being a priest. He'd been a priest in a time when they hadn't heard God speaking. He was a priest in a time when God had been silent. He was a priest in a time when the oppressive regime was, was, was causing them problems. And we also see something of his faithfulness because he, 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 is, he has the delight and the privilege of being the one that's to go forward and offer incense in the holy part of the temple. A huge privilege that not everyone got. And when he was in that environment, when he was there, the angel came to him. And the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife will bear you a son. It seems from these words of the angel that Zechariah had been faithfully praying for a child. How many years had he been praying? Had he got to the point where he'd stopped praying? I don't know. But we we see a faithfulness here, a faithfulness in serving God, a faithfulness in his praying. And we see a further example of their faithfulness in the naming of the child. Now, obviously... He communicated to Elizabeth. He hadn't just remained silent and stood in his bedroom and and not come out to play. He'd obviously spoken to Elizabeth because when she was asked what they would call the child, she said, John. And and all the the relatives and friends, no, that that, that can't be right. You can't name your first son John. He's got to be named after his father. He needs to be Zechariah. That's what would happen in that culture. And and, and he's such an upstanding man. And of course the son, the firstborn, has to have the father's name. And then when Elizabeth is insistent, and they say, well, let's, let's ask the father. In verse 63, he asked for a writing tablet. And he wrote, his name is John. There was a faithfulness there. A faithfulness. He was told to do that, wasn't he? He was told to uh, name the child John. And he made sure that was going to happen. We, we just see a faithfulness, man. And he is faithful in the dark times. And often faithfulness is the channel that God uses to show his faithfulness. We say that again. Often faithfulness is the channel that God uses to show his faithfulness. There's a promise there back in verse 14 with the angel. He said, you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. And why was there rejoicing? Why was there gladness? Well, of course, there was this this child that was brought into the world and it was brought in in a miraculous situation and there were unlikely parents because of their age. And of course, there was joy there. But there's joy and wonder in the child's name. There was a faithfulness. And God rewards this couple's faithfulness. And faithfulness is essential in dark times. Faithfulness is the channel that the Lord uses to bless his people. And so we see here that there is this 
called to be righteous despite problems. To be faithful despite how long it takes. And thirdly, to be thankful for what really matters. Thankful for what really matters. Can you uh, imagine a young Elizabeth and Zachariah? Newlyweds. The whole of their life in front of them. The excitement of being married and together. And in the months turn into years and there's no prospect of a child and the years turn into decades and the prayers that have gone up seem to have gone up silent and unanswered and then there's this amazing event where Zacharias is, is, is met by the angel and he's told what's going to happen and, and, and he goes home and, and, and then uh, of miracles of miracles. Well, not quite miracles of miracles, but it's certainly a big miracle. She's pregnant. And, and there's nine months of expectation. And, and I can imagine this, this couple thinking, is this really going to happen? The, the first month thinking, well, perhaps this isn't right. And we, we see that she sort of hid herself away for the first five months, probably just in, in amazement and, and, and worry and concern. Would there be a miscarriage? Would there be a, a stillbirth? People of, of their age don't give birth to children. And then there was a safe delivery. And there's a safe delivery. Have you ever seen a father shortly after, a new, a new father just shortly after the, the firstborn child? So you, you must have seen them. I, I can imagine in my mind's eye, I didn't see Tibetan and Abidami when they first had their child, but I can imagine that the smile on their faces, yeah, it would be a giveaway smile, it would just be beaming smile. And then before you could ask a question, you'd be told about their son and heir. Told about the, the newborn. Told about how it, it came into the world. Told how it was well. Because the father is obsessed by the, the, the child. You, you've seen it. You've experienced it. A few weeks back, Rach was at the, uh, the hospital in Guinea uh, with, with some, some friends there who were about to have a child. And there was a, uh, I think it was a Pakistani or an Iranian, running around giving everyone baklava. Why? I've just had a child. I've got a boy. It, it's, and he was full of it and he was talking about it. Now here is this Zachariah and he's been married, a whole marriage of hoping, nine months of expectation, a safe delivery. And, and what were the first words he uttered when he gets his voice back? He blesses God. He blesses him. The first recorded words of Zechariah are truly magnificent. We have an 11-verse prophecy. This is the first recorded words. It talks about him blessing the Lord, and then it tells us what he says. And Of 11 verses, only one mentions his child John. Isn't that staggering? 
you're not sort of amazed by that thought that here he is and he's got this child, this long-awaited child, this answer to prayer and his whole prophecy, his whole words are giving thanks to the Lord God. Now, God blesses us for good things, for sure. And we must be thankful for these things. But what this teaches us is we must be thankful for the best. And that's what Zechariah's prophecy is all about. When we're living in dark times, we need to be thankful for what really matters. But sadly, so often, we get seduced by what doesn't matter. And we start looking at the things that the world gets excited by and think they're the main attraction. And we lose out because what happens is the world gets darker around us because we're not looking to the light and giving thanks to the light, but looking to the stuff that doesn't hold light. And here he was giving thanks for what really matters. And and, and the next point is the big one. The next point, essentially, is is, is the main one. And we'll be there for a little bit longer than these other ones. So forgive me. If you think we come to a fourth point, we're finishing. We are. But this fourth one is going to be a little bit longer than the previous ones. Because there's so much in here that we need to see. You see, the the next point is this. It's found in Zechariah's truly awesome prophecy, verses... 68 to 79. And and this is essentially what motivated Zechariah to be righteous. This is what motivated him to be faithful. This is what enabled him to be thankful in the dark days. So, So think of it like this. We've been told that in dark days we need to be righteous. In dark days we need to be faithful. In dark days we need to be thankful. And the question we could ask ourselves is how can we do this? How can we be thankful in dark days? How can we be thankful in situations that we don't like? How can we, how, the fourth point, be hopeful for the promises of God. Be hopeful for the promises of God. This section here, these verses uh, 68 through to 79 are an amazing piece of prophecy. And in his prophecy that's been written in, in a, in a very Hebraic style of poetry. It's, it's, it's almost like Zechariah has a, an inspired moment of clarity and he does because it says he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's filled with the Holy Spirit and he's also just had nine months of silence to think on these things. And the 400 years of silence are broken. Because this is God speaking again. This is God speaking publicly again. The the previous speakings that have been had have been very personal to to, to individuals. This is going out. The the, the silence is broken. And it's the acknowledgement that the, the prophecy and the promises of the Old Testament were all coming into fruition. Now, there are three main characters in this story. Zacharias, Elizabeth, and John. I mean, John plays the role of the baby. It's only very small. But these three names 
are woven into this, this prophecy, woven into this, this poem, woven into this song. The name Zechariah means he remembers his covenants. And verse 40, 72 of this prophecy says, and to remember his holy covenant. Zechariah's very name is there helping him in the dark moments because he's reminded every time Elizabeth calls his name, God remembers his covenant. God remembers his promises. 400 years of silence and still they've been reminded that God keeps his covenant. And Elizabeth's name means the oath of God, the promise of God. We see that in verse 73. The oath that he swore to our fathers Abraham. An oath was, it was a serious, serious promise. An oath was a promise like a covenant. It was a legally binding thing and it was sworn. And this oath of God has been sworn and God keeps his promises. And it's in this darkness that Zechariah and Elizabeth were looking to God's promises. And and you see, the great promise was, was, was not his son. His son was promised. His son was foretold. But that wasn't the great promise. John, his name means this. The grace or the gift of God. You see, John wasn't the grace and the gift of God. John's job was to point forward to verse 77. To give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. That is the gift. This is the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. The gift of the Lord Jesus Christ is so that we can have knowledge of salvation and the forgiveness of our sins. Zachariah wanted a son for sure. He'd have settled for a girl, I'm sure too. He wanted a child. He wanted a baby. But what Zachariah needed, is he wanted a son. What Zachariah needed was a savior. And amazing though it was for Zachariah and Elizabeth to have a son, what was more amazing and more significant was the promised savior. And and as we walk through these verses, we we see how they they fit together in in an amazing way. It it starts off, and and it's working in the true style of of Hebrew Hebrew poetry. And verses 68 and 78 match each other because they both talk about a visit. He has visited and redeemed his people, 68, and verse 78, uh, and he shall visit us from high. And, and this prophecy is talking about a visit from God. It's talking about this one who is to come, who is God himself. And, and, and 69 and 77 mirror themselves and start talking about salvation. A horn of salvation is raised up for us. 
verse 69 and verse 77, uh, to give knowledge of salvation to his people, a visitation from God, and this visitation is for salvation, and this visitation and this salvation was promised by the prophets. Verses 70 and 76 talk of the prophets. 70 talks of the prophets from old. The Old Testament prophets were there and they were pointing forward to the Savior, pointing forward to the visitation of God to this world. And then in in verse 76, the prophet is talking about is John the Baptist. The child will be called the prophet of the Most High. John the Baptist was was going to be the prophet and he was there right on the doorstep of Christ's coming and he was going to point to the salvation of the people and he was going to point to their saviour being the God who is going to visit the world. Verses 71 and 74 talk about this saviour who's going to overcome the enemies. And the Jews of that day, the religious leaders of that day, were hoping that the the Messiah, the chosen one, this this promised saviour, would be a great military king who would come and kick the Romans out, who would who would get rid of the oppressive leaders of the time. This wicked Herod was their puppet king, and they were longing for a day when when they would reign supreme themselves, and this 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 king of the line of David would be on the throne in Jerusalem. But the real enemy, the real darkness, was and still is sin. And this Savior came for the forgiveness of their sins. You see, it carries on and it gets closer to the center. And verses 30, 72, sorry, and 73, they, they both talk about the prophecy, that these promises, these promises that, that, that have been made show the mercy promised to our fathers. Verse 72. And verse 73, the oath which he swore to our Abraham to grant us. What is this promise? What is this covenant? What is this that the prophets are speaking of? They're speaking of salvation. They're speaking of God visiting them. But right there in the middle of verse 72, we see that it was to remember his holy covenant. Right at the center of this prophecy. Right at the center of this poem. Right at the center of uh, Zechariah's excitement is the fact that God will remember his holy covenant. God never forgets his promises. God never goes rogue on his situation. And we see here, there's this this holy covenant. What was this holy covenant? This holy covenant was the Lord Jesus Christ coming to this world to be able to save his people from their sins. Jesus is the only one who makes the way of salvation possible. Jesus is the one who comes to this world, and Jesus in this prophecy is given three different names. We see in verse 69 that Jesus is referred to as the horn of salvation. 
Now, for us, in, in our day and age, we, we can get our minds around what salvation is. But what, what is a horn of salvation? Well, a horn in, in those days symbolized power. It makes a lot of sense if you see goats. You, you see a herd of goats going around. And the big daddy goat, the big billy goat, the big boss goat. How do you see? How do you know which one he is? He's the one with the biggest horns. He rules by his horns. His horns bang down and his authority is laid. And, and that would have given them the picture back then that this was the horn of salvation. There is no power greater than the salvation of Christ. When Christ comes to save, he comes to save and he saves to the utmost. He doesn't do a half-baked job. He does a full job because, as verse 76 tells us, his other name, he is most high. John the Baptist is going to be the prophet of the most high. He's going to go before the most high, Jesus, and he's going to prepare his way. He's going to give knowledge of salvation to his people and show them the way of forgiveness of their sins through Jesus Christ. But Jesus Christ was the most high. John the Baptist's ministry was all about Christ being exalted and himself being made smaller. And Christ is the Most High. There is no one higher. And think of it like this. There's no one higher than Christ. And yet when he came to this world, he came as a baby. And yet there's no one higher than Jesus Christ. And then in verse 78, we see another name for Jesus here. He's referred to as the Sunrise. I was going to ask if you've ever gotten up to see a sunrise. One of our, I think for some of you, you may not have gotten up to see the sunrise. You may have stayed awake through the night doing firemen. And then you've seen the sunrise. But the sunrise is an amazing experience. And if you haven't experienced it, I would, I would encourage you to do it because it makes this analogy, it makes this picture become all the more alive. The darkness of the night is around you. And in Cyprus, what happens, you, you look over in that direction and, and you realize that it's just beginning to get light. The, the full brightness of the sun is not there, but the light is coming and it starts creeping across. And, and if you get yourself in a situation where you can see a big vista, a big view of it, you see dark darkness over there, but the light is coming up. And as the light comes up, the darkness is chased away. And what's been said here is, is Jesus is the sunrise. This is what he's going to do to the darkness. The darkness was real. The sin was real. The oppression was real. The problems are real. But the light of Christ comes and chases the darkness away. How did Zacharias get through this darkness? Because he held to the promises of God. He knew that Jesus was coming. He was waiting for Jesus. 
He knew that things were dark for the nation. He knew that things were dark spiritually. He knew that things were difficult for him and his wife in their own personal situation. But he didn't let go of the promises because he was waiting for the dawning of the greater day. And so what about us? What about us now? We're living in dark days, aren't we? We're living in dark and difficult times. And I'm sure each one of you here has their own personal story of how this last year, this last season, there's been darkness and there's been difficulty and there's been trials and problems in your own personal life. We don't have to go far out of this door to see the effects of sin and the darkness that's in this world around about us. The unfairness of how people are treated. We, we, we see the effects of sin in how coronavirus has just come and turned our whole world upside down. And there's darkness out there. And so, so what do we do now we're living in these last days of darkness? Well, you friends, you have to be righteous despite the problems. And because of the promises, you can do this. Because Jesus came to crush sin on the cross. You can be righteous in these dark times. There is no excuse for any of you here not being righteous through Christ. You can do it through Christ. If if you are struggling with sin that's beset you for the whole of this year, maybe the whole of your life, you can be rid of it through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's his promise. The promise of God's word is there for you. And that's how you can be righteous. Verse 44 going into 75 tells us that because of Jesus, we might serve him without fear. We can serve him in holiness and righteousness. How can we do this? Because Jesus has come. How can we do this? Because Jesus has dealt with sin on the cross. How can we do this? Because if we are truly his, we have died to sin and we've been made a new creature. And through Christ we can carry on. And just like Zacharias and Elizabeth were righteous, we can live a righteous life despite the problems because of the promises. We have to be faithful despite how long it takes. And how can we do this? And because of the promises, it's easier to do. Because God never forgets his promises. Jesus came to to crush sin so that we can be faithful in these dark times. And in verse 79 gives it to us again. He came to give light to those who sit in darkness. How can we be faithful in this darkness? Because the light has come. And the shadow of death is around us. But in the shadow of death being around us, there is a light And there is a guide to our feet in the way of peace. And who is that? 
It's the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the Christmas gift. It's that baby that came, but it wasn't the baby that was on the cross. The baby grew into the man, and the man took on sin and death and devil and darkness on the cross, and he defeated it. The price was paid in whole. Justification was brought. And now, friends, despite how long it takes, we can continue to be faithful because Christ has given us the light. He's given us a hope for day by day, for sure. But our ultimate hope is the Lord Jesus Christ is going to return again. And when we're looking for eternity, when we're living for that, we're taken out of that darkness, as it were, and we're taken out of the shadow of death, and we have a guide to our feet, and we're in the way of peace. This world, I was struck by what Manuel said on Sunday, he said, people are not afraid of coronavirus. People are afraid of dying. That's a reality, isn't it? But if you've got Christ, you can be faithful because there's no need to be afraid. You're in the shadow of death, but death is your entry to eternal life. There's light. There's light because Christ came. Be thankful for what really matters. And because of the promises, it's easier to do this because Jesus came to crush sin. We can be thankful for what really matters in these dark times. You may want to be thankful for an iPhone 12, but that's not going to help you in these dark times. You may want to be thankful for a PhD, a master's, or just a a normal diploma, depending where you are. And yes, that will be a blessing to you, but it's not going to take you to glory. Yes, you may want a car, you may want this, you may want that and the other, and you may want to be thankful for these things. You may want a wife or a husband in the future. You may want a family and you may want to be thankful for those things. But the reality is, if you are the Lord Jesus Christ, you have everything. And all this other stuff is side blessings that he may or may not give you. But you have what really matters. Because you can be thankful of your salvation. You can be thankful that this world is not enough because what you have got extends beyond this world into eternity. And when we're in dark, dark times, the best thing that we can do is look to the dawn and give thanks for our salvation. Our salvation happened back then when Christ died on the cross, but it's taking us to right there, an eternity with God when there is no more sin, no more suffering, no more pain, no more coronavirus. No more separation from loved ones. This Christmas has been spoiled, apparently. It's been spoiled by coronavirus because loved ones can't get together. Apparently, the great travel around Nigeria hasn't happened this year. We can thank God for that in some ways. There hasn't been the accidents on the road. Perhaps there's some good that's come from it. But there's been a separation of people. That's not going to happen in heaven. We're never going to be separated again. You're never going to have to queue at an airport and sit cramped in a seat and hope that the thing gets you there and back. You'll be with your loved ones, with your family of God, forever and ever and ever. But more than that, there are times when the darkness gets so great in our lives, we think that we've been separated from God. 
There's times when you go through your quiet time and your devotions and it seems empty because God seems far from you. There's times when sin gets in the way of your relationship with God. And what we have to do is we have to thank God for our salvation and look forward to the dawning of that day when we will never be separated from God. We can't be separated from him now, but we can feel like it. But there'll be a day when we are seeing him because we'll be with him. You see, we can give thanks for what really matters because Jesus, in verse 77, gives a knowledge of salvation to his people for their forgiveness of sins. And we can do this if we're hopeful in the promises of God because God has promised. This Christmas time, we're reminded that Jesus came to the world to give knowledge of salvation to his people and forgiveness of sins. We can know forgiveness of sins. We can be right with God. It was God's love and mercy that means that we are no longer in the night, but we're looking for the dawn. We're seeing the dawn. We're seeing the light coming. The the, the sunrise has visited us from on high. It's given light to those of us who sit in darkness. We we are in the shadow of death. It's going to happen to all of us one day unless the Lord comes before. But God has promised through Jesus to be a guide to our feet and a way of peace. Friends, we've been given the way of peace. And what did those angels say on that first Christmas? When when they came down to those lowly shepherds, the lowest of the low by standards, and that light shone around them, and the angel said, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Friends, I trust you're leaving here this day knowing that peace. And as you go out into the darkness, you're able to live in that darkness because of this promise of peace. And he will help you to be thankful. And he will help you to be faithful. And he'll help you to be righteous. Because he's promised. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that Christ came to this world. And Heavenly Father, we know that we live in dark days and difficult times. And so we pray that because of your promises, we can be hopeful. May we hold on to your promises and holding on to them, may we be righteous. May we be faithful. May we be thankful. And may we continue to hope and hold on to your promises now and forevermore. And may we have a fresh sight of that dawn coming and a fresh sight of that light. And may this Christmas day be a real blessing to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.